0: Has anybody in here ever sinned and then beat yourself up for the next three weeks about it? Even though you confessed it and you repented of it, you, you, you said you put it under the blood, but you just continue to woe is me, I'm so low, I'm so awful, and you beat yourself up. Well, you're in the right place today because we're going to talk about that. Last week we talked about how to treat one another, and one of the things we talked about, was giving each other forgiveness. Today we're going to talk about how to receive forgiveness from the Lord. Because it's hard to give something that you don't know about about yourself, isn't it? Lord, please open our eyes. Let these words fall in good soil in their hearts. Give them ears to hear and minds to be transformed today by your word. And help me be a an able speaker and messenger of this good news. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you do that, I'd like to remind you of a couple of scriptures. If that's you, you beat yourself up after you sin, and even after you've repented. Psalms 103.12 says that God has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Is that a long ways? Well, how long will you go to bring your sins back? That's what we do, isn't it? Mm -hmm. He's thrown them as far as the east is to the west, and there we go after them. The prophet Micah in chapter 7, verse 19 says, Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. That's where we get that phrase that he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers them no more but it seems some of us are deep divers we go down after them (laughs) in hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 the lord says for i will be merciful to the unrighteousness to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. He doesn't want to remember our sins. He wants to see us through the blood of his son Jesus. He wants to see us right with him. He chooses to see the finished version of us. But some of us, (laughs) we got a memory like a hypnotized elephant on a truth serum. (laughs) We bring it up on ourselves. We dig it out and we hold on to it. The way to live is found in 1 John 1, nine, And many of you know what I'm talking about. And those who don't know what I'm talking about, this will change your life forever. This is a word that John wrote to some Christians who were struggling with this very same thing. He says, if we confess our sins... He, meaning God, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know you've heard of that scripture. But if you're not living by that scripture, then you're one of those people who continue to beat yourself up. But we must have faith in the word of God. We must see those words and say, yes, if I confess, he's faithful. And if we don't believe it, what are we saying about his faithfulness? I want you to look at your neighbor, either one of them, maybe both of them if you got crossed eyes. (laughs) Say confess and repent and move on. (laughs) (laughs) First John is not a license to sin, but a trusted friend. It's the way God gave us to do things. Yes, we should repent when we do wrong. I know positionally we're already forgiven. When Jesus said it is finished, it was finished. Sin was dealt with. But for the relation's sake, for our relation with Jesus, we don't just want to walk around treating him bad without saying I'm sorry. And we don't want to walk around beating ourselves up. So we confess. And we repent. But we got to move on. Say move on. Don't you want to live in God's grace? Amen. I do. Because condemnation has been my struggle since I've been saved. I came from a place where you used to have to confess your sins to a priest. And he used to tell you what you had to do to be forgiven. And it just built in me this, this... Heaviness, this condemnation that I have struggled with even for many years as a saved, born-again Christian. And you know what the devil does? He takes that condemnation and he uses it to paralyze us, to keep us from doing the good things. You know, when I'm condemned and feeling all bad about myself, I don't feel like witnessing to anybody else. I don't even feel like smiling and putting on a good face. I'm struggling just to get through the day. Do not let the devil paralyze you. In this way, any longer, trust in 1 John 1, 9. Romans 8, 1 says this. This is another good one to trust in. There is therefore now no condemnation. We are not condemned. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but through through him the world might be saved, John 3, 17. For the born-again child of God, there should be no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, if you're walking according to the Spirit, you understand that the Holy Spirit does not bring condemnation. He brings conviction, and that's totally different. Condemnation kicks you down and holds you down, says you'll never get back up. You're no good. You've messed up this time. Condemnation pushes down, but conviction lifts up. And the Holy Spirit says, yes, you did wrong, but that's not you. That's not what you know to do. And God will lift you up. Conviction of the Holy Spirit lifts us up. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. We've got to be careful what voices we are listening to. And guilt is only good if it leads to repentance. Let's turn to John chapter 4. I'm going to begin in the fourth verse. This is the story of a Samaritan woman that came to the well. I speak of her often, I know. But there's so much to be learned. John chapter 4, verse 4. She comes to the well alone. She doesn't come in the cool of the morning like all the other women. Why do you suppose that is? Because she's got a lot of sin in her life. A lot of people are talking bad about her. They're heaping condemnation on her. She is ashamed. In verse 4, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria on his way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to. See that's what we need to get a hold of, who we're dealing with. If you only knew, he said. You would ask me, and I would give you some living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this this well is very deep. She's she's kind of feisty. She's combative. Because anything anybody has ever said to her in the last few years have been pointing out her flaws or condemning her. And she's built this hard shell around her heart that she don't want anybody to get into. Where would you get this living water? She retorts. Besides, who do you think you are? Greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you Offer better water than he and his sons and animals enjoy. And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I'll give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. She says, please, sir, give me this water, and I won't be thirsty again. I won't have to ever come here to get water. She's probably still just being feisty. So he says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. And you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, now that she's changed her attitude a little bit. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming. It will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And just then as the disciples came back, they were shocked to find him talking to the woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Why are you talking to her? And the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man that told me everything I ever did, could he possibly be the Messiah? When we look at that passage of Scripture, we've often, every time I've ever looked at it, I've heard people uh, preach on worship. And we certainly learn to worship. And we talk about worship in The truth of who we worship and how we worship out of our heart, out of our spirit, spirit to spirit. And there's so much to learn about worship. But could this passage be also talking about forgiveness? Jesus was probably the only one who had spoken to her with kindness in a long, long time. And this world is looking for someone who's... Didn't come to condemn. We got many churches that all they do is point fingers. They come to condemn the world. But Jesus said, if you knew who I am. You see, he comes with a different spirit. He has a different purpose here on the earth. He did not come to condemn, but that the world might be saved through him. He came to give his life as a ransom for everyone. If you knew who I am, he speaks of a gift of some living water. Could this living water be forgiveness? Now, I know he's talking probably about the whole salvation package, but how do you get the whole salvation package if you ain't right with God, if you don't have forgiveness in the first place? What is it that separates us from a holy God but our sin. And who became sin for us? That we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that He may offer living water, He may offer forgiveness. Man, I was seeing these things this morning as I was reading the scripture. It was a revelation. She said, you, you don't have a bucket or a rope, and this well is very deep. In, and maybe she was saying, my sin is so deep. You can't get to it. You can't get to this heart. Because it's too deep for you. You don't have anything to draw it out with. He said, when you drink of that well, you will, begin to, you will be thirsty again. But my water is fresh. My water is life-giving. It brings eternal life, a right standing with God. He's talking about a different water. She's still being feisty, but he's piqued her interest. Give me this water. (laughs) You give me this water, I won't have to come to this same old well. I won't have to sacrifice another animal for a moment of forgiveness and then sin again and go do it again. I won't have to continue day in and day out to come draw this bucket out of this deep natural well. Yeah, I want some living water. I want to be forgiven once and for all. And Jesus, He addresses her sin. And He knows things that she didn't know He knew. Because He knows it all. And that's the amazing thing. He knows it all. And He loves us anyway. He says, I am The Messiah, the one that you're looking for. I am He. Through His love, she goes instantly from a despised sinner, that woman with that horrible reputation, to a beloved evangelist who has the whole city come out and see. She begins to see herself differently. She receives living water, fresh water, fresh forgiveness. And she goes to tell everybody that you can have it too. Come and see a man. Have you ever told anybody, come and see what this living water that I have, where it came from? Have you pointed people to Jesus? To the wellspring of living water? He who is forgiven much loves much. And this, this, this woman wants to give this water out. She wants it. She don't want it to, the water, living water to grow stale in her. She wants it to flow out. And it says out of your belly shall flow living waters. Last week we talked about that. The need to give out this living water. Mm. She bears a simple message or forgiveness. Come see a man. He, he knew everything I did. But he loves me anyway. He saw my sins, but he still loves me. His well is deeper than my sin. Jacob's well was deep in the heart of the earth. But Jesus' well is deep in the heart of God. The old way is gone. The new way has come. We're not sacrificing animals anymore. The Lamb who was slain from the foundations of the world has come and given his life as a ransom for us. It is done. It is finished, he said. And now all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we're going to live saved. And we're going to go from despised sinners. To important evangelists for the kingdom of God. I'm telling you, meeting Jesus should set the captives free. Not go back to the old way, not go back to the natural well, time and time again, but live from the living water that Jesus provides. Guilt and shame are two different things, it's the difference in making a mistake and feeling like you are a mistake. We're going to talk about shame for a moment. He came to take away our shame. Not for us to live in greater shame. I know the tendency is is once you meet Jesus and you realize his holiness, you can walk away two ways. You can say, oh my goodness, I am a sinner. Even the most holy among us realize our, our wretchedness. Or we could, we could embrace the grace. We could embrace the grace written in the scriptures that tells us that we're made right with God through the blood of Jesus. Sam Storms writes, shame is the painful emotion that is caused by a consciousness of guilt, failure, or impropriety that often results in a paralyzing conviction or a belief that one is worthless, of no value to others or to God. Unacceptable and altogether deserving of disdain and rejection. Shame. It's what keeps all those hurting people, those hordes of hurting people out there from coming through the doors of the church. Shame. Fear that we're going to reject them. Turn them away at the door. You're not worthy of what happens here. And then some of us come through the door and know better, but allow that condemnation, the voice of the devil, to cause us to live in shame. Jesus became shame for us, He bore our shame, not for us to live in it any longer. To take away our shame. What a shame to live in shame when you've been made the righteousness of God. Or worse, to live in a shameful manner after you've been set free from sin. To continue on in your sin when your your chains have been broken and you have the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. You say, but you already said that we sinned we don't have to, and we shouldn't, but when you do, you have an advocate with the Father, 1 John says. You have 1 John 1, 9. You confess it, you get it out the blood, and you get back right. You stay right. You live right. Adam and Eve felt no shame in the garden until they sinned. Then what did they do? Oh, they realized they were naked. They had been naked and they weren't even ashamed. No clothes on. They didn't have any consciousness of good and evil until they ate of that tree. And their eyes were opened. Then they want to hide and try to cover themselves with a fig leaf. Want to cover themselves with something natural. And it doesn't work. They sought to hide from God and anybody in here should know if they've read Psalms 139 you can't hide from God. He sees you wherever you are. He's there before you get there. Are you a hider? Do you sin and then hide for a period? Oh, how many people I've seen come here and receive forgiveness and be so... Grateful, but the first time they fall, they don't come back to church. We have to go find them. Where'd you go, brother? Well, I messed this up, man. And so they run from God. Our human pride wants to hide our shame. We don't want people to know our shame. But shame only grows in the dark. If you're going to hide, hide yourself in the Lord. The light of His glory evaporates shame like the sun evaporates the dew on the early morning. Walk into the light and let it cover your darkness. I was looking at Facebook the other day, a couple weeks ago, I try to stay off of that stuff. But I, you know, do ads and stuff, and every now and then I get on it for my personal enjoyment or whatever and look at stuff. And, and I've got good friends on Facebook. I don't, I don't allow nobody to put some nasty stuff on my stuff, typically. If they do, I unfriend them or unfollow them or whatever. But you know Facebook. Sometimes they're going to throw a video or something out on your feed that you didn't ask for. In a moment of weakness, something tempted my eyes, and I clicked on it. Right away, I I knew it was wrong. My heart started beating, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I said, what do I do? I'm not going to say I didn't look. I sinned. But then I felt so bad right away. I, I said, how do I get this off my thing? And I looked for a button, and there was a button that said, hide this video and I clicked that button and it showed me another like video and I said I don't want this on my feed I hit it, hit the button again said hide this video it showed another one the more I tried to hide the video the more it kept showing me the same thing the devil I was so upset I said I can't have these things on my, my feed I, I am I ain't looking at Facebook no more I I, I, my tenderness, I wanted to hide. I wanted to say, I'm not telling anybody about this. But my wife came home, and I said, Angie, I got, I got to confess to you. Look, I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at on Facebook, and now it's attacking me. I don't know what to do. Now, my wife, she is ultra forgiving. She didn't condemn me. She helped me. She said, I'll take care of your Facebook. I'll get on there. I'll clean it up for you. You won't see that no more. And I said, will you be my accountability partner so that doesn't happen again? And I, and I will let you know if it does happen again. And so you can help me with this. She said, I will. And so we, what did we do? We brought it into the light. So it doesn't grow. The devil wants you out there by yourself, vulnerable, hiding in the darkness so that he can pick you off, so that he can continue to throw these things at you. mm I confess to, to my God. I repented. I confess to my wife. I repented. And I confess to you right now, the whole church, I I repent. But I I tell you because maybe it'll help you see that we all deal with the same things. And God wants to bring it into the light. God didn't ignore Adam and Eve's sin, it came with a horrible price. The wages of sin is death. But God paid that price for us. He was the one to die our death. And what did he do for Adam and Eve? Until the meantime, until he could get Jesus into the world. He covered their shame with the blood sacrifice of an animal. He covered them with animal skins. Which was a picture that the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world would have eventually come and cover their sins once and for all. And there's, there's no more animal sacrifices needed. And Jesus is not going to get on that cross again. Amen? Amen. And I want to tell you something. Some people believe that their shame is pious. Oh, I'm just ashamed of the old wretch that I am. Shame isn't pious. Shame is poison. Don't believe it for a minute. It causes you to shrink back. From the embrace of God's mercy. The Christian life should be a celebration. It's not a shame fest. We should be celebrating, not constantly replaying our sins and failures and ever holding ourselves captive, weighing ourselves down emotionally and spiritually, and limiting our potential to live free and powerfully. That's what's wrong with much of the church today. We don't stand out and we don't do things because we're all ashamed because of our compromise with the world. But I'm telling you, if you'll bring your situation into the light and you'll let your heart hook up with his heart, you will be set free. This is the way to freedom. Just be free. No more condemnation in my life. Say that. No more condemnation in my life. Psalms 34, 5 says those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No, no shadow of shame will darken their faces. No shadow. Isaiah says in 61, 7, instead of shame and dishonor, you will enjoy a double share of honor. You will possess a double portion of prosperity in your land and everlasting joy. Will be yours. So you choose. You want me to pull the hands out on you? Live in shame. Continue to to give in to sin and darkness. And live hiding from God. Or live in the light of God. And enjoy double of everything that God has for his children. It's not a hard decision. (laughs) The cycle of shame causes us to focus on our sin. And not on our savior. What you see. You will be. If you, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in the Word of God or do you see yourself in the mirror? The natural mirror. There's a better mirror to look into. This is who you are. Yeah. If you can see it. Anybody ever watch Sanford and Son? <laughs> Y'all remember Grady, his old drunk friend? I'll never forget. Grady said one time, he said, he said, Fred, you know when I close my eyes, I can see. When I close my eyes, I can I, Fred, I can't see nothing when I close my eyes. <laughs> Don't close your eyes. Open them up to the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and be forgiven for once and for all. It takes faith in the blood. It's not a pious thing to be in shame. It's a shameful thing. It takes faith to live in the victory of the cross. And let me tell you this, Jesus ain't going back to the cross again. If that's what you're waiting on, either his blood was enough for you the first time, or you're, you're going to die in your sins and trespasses. Hebrews ten twenty nine. I often look at this verse as, you know, the unbeliever, people who know and hear the message about Jesus Christ, I don't need none of that, you know. That's trampling on the Son of God. That's what I believe the the main thing this is getting across. But I'm going to show you something else. Hebrews 10, 29. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. Now, I believe that's written for unbelievers, but could it be written for believers too? Are you insulting and disdaining the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to you by refusing to receive your forgiveness? trampling on the blood of Jesus like it's an unholy thing, like it didn't do what it said it was going to do. I want you to see that it's not pious to live in shame and to live in condemnation and to belittle yourself. It's a shame. See yourselves in the Word of God and be who He called you the apostle paul when he was saul man he persecuted and killed christians he had every reason to say woe is me i don't deserve this but no he said this one thing i have to do i have to forget the things that be in the past and move on press on towards the high calling of god in christ jesus I got things to do. I ain't got time to look in the rearview mirror. I'm going places in Jesus. I may not feel like it, but if he says that, that settles it. I'm going with him. Let's live in grace and gratitude in a new life-giving attitude. I'm telling you, this church will, will rise up. We won't be able to put enough purple chairs out here in this place. If we could get condemnation and guilt and shame out of the house, we would all live like we're supposed to live. We'd be chain breakers and not probation officers. Some of us holding everybody else. Uh, uh-huh. Why are you holding everybody why you looking at everybody else's sin? You must have some sin in your life. Won't you help set them free? We can't extend God's grace if we won't receive God's grace. Accepting forgiveness helps us give forgiveness. 1 John 2, 28 says, And now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. John Piper said this, and I think he got it right. We're going to close. For all the evil and deceitful judgment and criticism that others may use to heap on us a shame that is not ours to bear. And for all the distress and spiritual warfare it brings, the promise stands sure that they will not succeed in the end. All the children of God will be vindicated. The truth will be made known. And no one who banks his hopes on the promises of God will be put to shame. No one. You hold on to the word of God. Don't let the devil define you. Don't let the world define you. That woman left that well, and Jesus had to find a new reality in her life. And that is your reality. You're a soul winner, chain-breaking, setting free. life-giving. Living water flowing from your belly. Yeah. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Romans 10, 11. Say this out loud. Stand to your feet. Say, Jesus took my shame. Jesus took my shame. He, became my sin he became my sin. And gave me a full pardon. Gave me a full pardon. Say, Jesus took, my shame. Jesus took my shame. He became my sin. And gave me, pardon, gave me a full pardon written in his own blood, his own blood. that I might, I might be free. In Jesus' name, in Jesus. Amen. 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 You can be seated. You. If you're here today and you say, I don't know this Jesus. I feel like I'm, I'm a sinner and I've never received forgiveness. Well, you're just one heartfelt prayer away from being saved and brought into the family of God you must simply say Jesus I confess and I repent repent just doesn't mean some big biblical word it just means I've been going this way and I don't want to go that way no more I want to go towards you I want to go with you and if you will confess and repent and while you're doing that with your mouth out loud, confessing him to be the new Lord of your life, and you, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he is who he says he is, in that instant, he will send his, his spirit into your heart, confirming that he is Abba Father, that you have been adopted into his family. You have been made new and your sins have been forgiven and you are washed white as snow. You are right with God. You have a hope and eternity in heaven and you have a purpose down here on earth. And he will send that Holy Spirit to lead and guide you to help you overcome all the the change that you've been walking in. You will walk out free. And the only one that can bring you back into captivity after that is your own self. By listening to the lies of the enemy, who wants to walk in truth today? Are you here today and you've been walking in this world? You've been going to that well. You're wore out from lifting that bucket up out day after day. You're isolated. You're coming in the heat of the day because you don't want the women talking about you no more. You can't stand to hear the, the voices of condemnation in your own head. You say, I need some living water. If you're here today and you need that living water, let me pray with you. Come on, let me pray with you. Stand to your feet right now wherever you are. Praise God. Anybody else? I love brave people. If you're brave enough to stand here in front, front of these people who love you, you'll be able to stand in the world after this. You'll be able to stand for Jesus. Pray with me like this. Say, God, I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on my cross to forgive my sins. Jesus is be the Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead and guide me into a life of freedom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Give a round of applause. And I'm telling the rest of you that are saved and know it and this don't, don't not be changed by this message today. Begin to see the, the path to forgiveness and the path to freedom differently. 1 John 1, 9, memorize it. Use it, and it will begin to, pretty soon. You won't say, I'm not hardly using it at all because it, it will set you free. When you see in your spirits the mercy and the grace of God, the, the less you want to sin, it is your path to a better life. And, and one other thing, the Holy Spirit... If you're here today and you're saved, you continue to make room to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we take back some of our heart. We say, "Uh, I'm holding on to this again. Nope, nope. Stand before God, an open vessel. Fill me, Holy Spirit. Fill me. I don't want to take back anything from you. You have control. And I pray over this congregation right now, Holy Spirit, you are in control. Thank you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.